Hello and welcome to the 12 Minutes of Workplace Health podcast. I'm Harry Bliss, CEO and co-founder of Champion Health. And today we're joined by Chris Rowe, Senior Vice President of Lockton Benefits. Today we're going to discuss everything around where workplace health has really evolved over the last 10, 15, even 20 years, but also where it's going to evolve over the next five years also. We're also going to discuss inclusivity and diversity. It's an absolutely excellent session. Welcome. Hi, Chris. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, Harry. Thanks very much. And you? I'm very well today. Very well. The the sun is shining in Sheffield for a change. Um, so today we're going to be discussing, as always, all things employee well-being. We're going to also touch upon the benefits arena and how that looks to integrate with well-being. But I guess over the last five years, there have been so many changes in workplace health and benefits as well that organisations are providing to employees. What's the main change that you've seen over the last five years? And then we'll go on to where you're looking at seeing the change over the next five years as well. Yeah, sure. It's really interesting, Harry. So, uh, you know, I've been in the industry now for 30, 32 years uh, as a consultant or or an insurer. Um, And and I've got to be honest, at least the first sort of quarter of a century of that was was pretty boring. Um, You know, it was medical insurance, group life, group income protection. I think over the last five years, we've seen uh, an explosion of well-being services, well-being vendors and providers, um, which is fantastic because there's lots of things out there for organizations to consider, Um, but also it's got the flip side that, you know, it's really increasingly hard for employers to, to see the wood from the trees and actually target those products and services that, that can be of the most value and most benefit to, the, to their employees. So the good news is the market is innovative, it's dynamic, there are lots of new to market vendors and niche vendors. Um, the, the bad news is that with that brings uh, a requirement for sort yeah. of navigation and signposting. It's, I guess it's such a new area for people in HR and many people in HR are, are owning well-being. How do they go about choosing the right providers and the right services? As you say, there are so many people out there and so many different organizations. What's the best way to actually get the right suppliers into the organizations? I guess it's no different to any of us consumers that are buying products or services for our home. Um, I think it's before approaching the market to consider what it is you are looking. So what is the HR person looking to solve? So what is the issue they're trying to fix? What's the problem they're trying to solve? What's the value they're looking to add to their workforce? So before they go into this sort of swarm of vendors with slick sales teams and marketing brochures, have a really good handle on what it is you're trying to achieve So find the vendor for your issue, not the other way around. I guess, as you mentioned, there's a lot of slick marketing um, programs out there at the moment and PDFs and all all of the like. But uh, some organizations will say, well, we don't know where to start and we've not got the data. I know that's something that that you really look to champion yourself is making data-driven decisions, whether it's in PMI all the way through to to well-being. How do organizations get that data? Where, Where do you suggest that they start? Yeah, I think it's a case of initially casting the net as wide as the employer possibly can and not discount any source of data. So um, what are the insurance policies showing? 
um, what are what absence data is showing? What is the staff turnover? Have you done any surveys? Are you doing exit interviews? When you recruit people, is there any trend in the sort of people you seem to attract? So at the very earliest stage, it's consider all data and then decide whether it's relevant or not as you go through that analysis. So I, I think it does need to be data-led. I think whatever an organization considers also needs to be culturally aligned. It needs to be linked to the business. It needs to be relevant. I think those are the, in those situations, you've got the best chance of success if you've got the data and it's really aligned to your business. I, I completely agree with you there, Chris. And I think so many people don't use that data that is already readily available to them. Um, and it's actually just digging it out. Um, within there. Now, one of the major topics at the moment is around inclusivity and accessibility when it comes to well-being. that within our organizations, there's a diverse group of employees from different demographics, whether that's race, gender, all the way through to socioeconomic status. How do we make sure that we can tailor our benefits and our well-being programs to those populations? Is it again looking at the data and listening to employees or would you suggest anything else within there? I think the data runs through it, Harry, but but without wanting to sort of overplay that, I think inclusivity is an appropriate challenge for organisations um, and to do it properly, not sort of just to put the diversity and inclusivity on it as a label, but for an organisation to really consider all of their workforce, you know, uh, what is the demo demography? What is the social economic? If you're going to launch something digitally, do you have lots of people that are actually hourly paid that don't have access to laptops, iPads, iPhones? Mm. So I think that inclusivity comes from approaches. We want to do something for the betterment and to add value to the whole of our workforce. What can we do to ensure as far as possible we don't leave anyone behind? I think 100% inclusivity, as much as I'd love organisations to achieve that, that's really tough, especially if you're a global organisation looking to roll things out, multiculturals, you know, different ends of the world. But I think if your starting position is, how do we ensure that this is as accessible as possible for the vast majority of our workforce, that's not a bad place to start. I completely agree. And you mentioned the global aspect within there as well. And have you seen the same trend that organizations and the largest organizations that have a global footprint and now looking for global solutions where before they were looking for regional solutions? Is that something that, that you've observed as well? Uh, indeed, Harry. And I think the increased agility um, of workforces, the fact that during COVID, you haven't seen people getting on planes and flying around the world You've got local teams being recruited because of their expertise. We're seeing lots more mid-sized globals with incredibly disparate and far-flung workforces. And I think that increases the pressure on organisations to ensure that to the best endeavours, they are treating people equally um, you know, you could be a manager sat in an office in London, but you're responsible for someone maybe in Peru or Singapore or in France. If you're having a conversation with them and they're saying that they're poorly, they need to get fixed. You need to make sure that as much as you're able to, they can access yeah. the same level of cover as colleagues in other territories. And it, with that, it comes translation issues and, and all of the other small cultural um, appropriacies that we, that we need to factor in as well. 
Um, I think that's really interesting. And we touched upon how far well-being has progressed in the last five to 10 years. Where do you think it's going to progress over the next five to 10 years um, going forward to 2025, 2030? So I think we've already touched on one of them, Harry. So I think one of the big drivers for evolution in the well-being space is going to be inclusivity. So this whatever the service is, be it a mental health service, a fitness and nutrition service, a well-being fund, access to a gym, doesn't matter what it is, insofar as possible, I think inclusivity is going to be a big driver of innovation. I think personalization will be. So personalization of content, advancements in AI, use of individual personal health data to really drive that hyper-personalization and treat your employees like consumers. And then I think the other thing will be aggregation. A lot of employers are working very hard to signpost employees as simply as they possibly can. It's, it's almost like a one-click dimension to it. So how can organizations purchase a service or how can they blend a number of services together, but aggregate them so they're very, very simple for employees to access? I reflect back on that and you look at the, the consumer platforms that I use, whether it's um, my iPhone, where I've got everything in one place from my calls, my apps, um, all the way through to text messaging and WhatsApp. You then look at Netflix and everything's one click away to, to access any documentary or film, for example. So I completely agree with you um, in, in relation to that. And it also touches upon communications as well. And you must have seen some excellent communication strategies and some that haven't quite worked when it's come to workplace health and benefits. What are the initiatives that have really worked in terms of communications that you found from, from your experience? Um, again, I think communications, Harry, are really coming to the fore. Some of that, again, down to coming out of COVID and the agile workforces and, and the need to engage. And it comes back to inclusivity as well. I think... The best communication plans that I have seen, you know, probably share two or three common themes. So there's some shelf life to them. So they're part of an ongoing communication plan. There's some longevity. It's not just a one simple burst and then nothing because you need to be constant to be in the forefront of people's minds to start getting that behavioral change. So I think there's some, there needs to be an ongoing nature of the communications. There needs to be some comfort around them for them to be engaging. So they need to be aligned to the organization's culture, to its ethos. They need to feel familiar uh, and homely in ways for their employees to trust them. And then I think once they've been in place for a while, they need to start sharing success. They need to feed back into the workplace. You know, we launched this service. We listened to our employees. You told us you needed help with this. Here's a case study from an individual that benefited from this. Here's a team in one of our offices that really engaged in what they got out of that. So I think the communications need to have that ongoing nature, they need to be culturally aligned, and then they need to really keep emphasising the good news stories and sharing success. Fantastic. What an answer, Chris. Um, I'm sure our listeners are, have got their notepads out and are, are vigorously writing down all of that at the moment. We're coming up to, to, to near the close now. Um, what's the one tip that you'd give to a wellbeing leader or a HR director that's wanting to really focus on improving and driving positive wellbeing throughout their organisation? I think, Harry, we've touched on this during this call, uh, and that's not really trying to give you a political get out of your question. 
I think it's time. Uh, Organisations, because there's so much going on, quite rightly, women's health, mental health, diversity and inclusion, there's a lot out there which generates an urgency to fix things. But actually, that urgency sometimes drives some wrong decisions. It drives selecting the wrong vendors. It drives doing things that are more tactical than strategic. So I think the biggest single thing, piece of advice I would give to anyone that's considering going down this route is take time. Think about your organization. Consider the data. Consider what it is you're looking to achieve. Back to those issues that you're trying to fix. So before you go out into the market, think about your strategy. Think about what the next three to five years will look like. And that investment, be it with staff surveys, internal workshops, the investment in that time will certainly reap rewards with the success of the program further down the line. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us today on this episode, Chris. Really good talking to you, Harry. Thanks so much for inviting me. For more exclusive insights and content around workplace wellbeing, please subscribe to this podcast and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.